0: Welcome
1: to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I am your host, Doris Hansen, and we are grateful that you've chosen to spend some of your evening with us tonight. Of course, our guest co-host, Earl Erskine again with us. Thanks
0: for having me.
1: Thanks for being here and I suppose everything's going well with you and your so, show. And so far so so
0: good. <laughs> so yeah. far
1: and so good yeah. and we still haven't heard anything new or, or, or different about the sale of the, no. of the TV, TV, TV station so we just take it each week by week and like we said we will let you know and keep you updated as we hear new information as well. Uh, we are here on Thursday nights to talk about polygamy and we talk about Uh, early Mormon polygamy and contemporary polygamy and biblical polygamy and try to put it all together to make sense. And last March on March 19th, or last month on March 19th, we began a series to present each one of Joseph Smith's 33 plural wives, and as we hear their stories, we we want our viewers to know that these women aren't just names on a page, or some a name in history, or even just notches on Joseph Smith's gun. They were real, live human beings with deep emotional needs and suffering deep emotional pain, which was forced on on them by the false requirements of polygamy. And many of them forced traumatic dilemma when they were first introduced to this kind of religious adultery. Tonight we're going to bring part two, presenting two more of Joseph Smith's 33 plural wives. And as we tell each story, we do hope that our viewers can get inside the heart and in the head of these women and Sense their pain and their loneliness as they practiced what they thought was God's truth. Remember that Joseph Smith, when he received what he called the revelation of polygamy, which is section 132 of the Mormon Doctrine and Covenants, he claimed that God commanded it and to refuse to obey it would damn the one who refused to obey. And then he promised exaltation for those who complied. And Doctrine and Covenants section 132 verse 54 (laughs) contains Joseph Smith's powerful threat of destruction for those who didn't. And we quote.
0: Yes, and I command my handmaid, Emma Smith, to abide and cleave unto my servant Joseph and to none else. But if she will not abide this commandment, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord. For I am the Lord thy God and will destroy her if she abide not in my law. So is powerful. it's <laughs> very
1: powerful, Clear. especially to to a woman who thinks that that her salvation is determined about this. And he he threatened Emma with destruction if she didn't conform to the command of polygamy. And when all is said and done, we find, however, that polygamy was not God's command at all, but was Joseph Smith's command from beginning to end. Well, when he died, it then became Brigham Young's command, and then it became John Taylor's command, and then Wilford Woodruff and then Lorenzo Snow's, and then Joseph F. Smith's command, and they finally stopped commanding it, but then the Mormon fundamentalists started to command it. The leader of each polygamy group commanded it, and the head of each polygamous family commanded it. But in all of this commanding, it was never God who commanded it, even though each one of these men said it was from God. And each one of us, uh, uh, each one of them, and all of them, and us in the polygamy group growing up, we were always threatened with hell and damnation to anyone who refused to obey the commandment of polygamy. And they still use those threats today. When these wives of Joseph Smith received the knowledge of what he called celestial marriage, which of course is polygamy, they were warned that to refuse would endanger their eternity, but to accept would seal their exaltation and the salvation of their family as well. This, of course, is spiritual blackmail and makes polygamy the Savior. You know, we find some very odd practices in these two wives of Joseph Smith that we're going to talk about tonight. But we must remember they had been threatened, brainwashed, and promised celestial glories for submitting to this life of polygamy. And you also need to know that the primary sources for our information is two books written about polygamy. One of them is In Sacred Loneliness by Todd Compton, who is a Mormon historian, and Nauvoo Polygamy by George D. Smith. And they're both very excellent and reliable historical resources about Joseph Smith's polygamy and early Mormon polygamy. Louisa Beeman was the third plural wife of Joseph Smith and we're we're going to begin with her story tonight. Louisa Beeman first met Joseph Smith in 1834 when he uh, and several other missionaries came to their home and stayed in their parents' home in New York. And one of those missionaries that stayed was Parley P. Pratt. He wrote about their stay with the Beeman family. And so we quote,
0: Among those whose hospitality we shared in that vicinity was Old Father Beeman and his amiable and interesting family. He was a good singer, and so were his three daughters. We were much edified and comforted in their society.
1: So we noticed the Beeman family had three daughters. Well, the Beeman family joined the Mormon Church and moved to Kirtland, Ohio in 1835, and Joseph Smith's interest in Louisa began. In Kirtland, Louisa's father died at the age of 62, and Louisa and her mother Sarah moved with the Mormons when they migrated to Missouri and then on to Nauvoo, and soon after, Louisa's mother also died. Well, Louisa was 25 years old, and she moved in with her sister Mary, who was married to Joseph Bates Noble. Now Joseph Noble joined the Mormon Church in 1841 and he was appointed Bishop of the Fifth Ward in Nauvoo. He sometimes also acted as bodyguard for Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, in turn, taught him the principle of celestial marriage, or plural marriage, as they called it. Now, after Joseph Smith explained pearl marriage to Noble, he warned him not to talk about it. This is what he said.
0: In revealing this to you, I have placed my life in your hands. Therefore, do not in an evil hour betray me to my enemies. <laughs> don't Why, talk about it
1: don't so. talk about it don't betray me and of course that yeah. puts the guilt on him if he says sure. anything it's a betrayal yeah. in his remark we note that he did put the utmost secrecy on Joseph Smith's practice of polygamy he asked Noble if he would perform a plural marriage ceremony between himself and Louisa Beeman and remember she was Noble's daughter, or sister-in-law So Joseph and Louisa were married on April 5th of 1841. She was dressed up like a man. And we quote,
0: Again from Todd Compton, In a grove near Main Street in the city of Nauvoo, the prophet Joseph dictating the ceremony and Brother Nobles repeating it after him, Louisa was disguised as a man during the ceremony.
1: So they went to a secret park in the grove of trees, she disguised as a man, and they were married into a plural marriage ceremony. Instead of a wedding gown, she got to wear men's clothes. And so her marriage was begun in deceit, just like the practice itself was deceitful. Joseph Noble recalled that after the ceremony, he told Joseph Smith to spend their wedding night across the river in his house. This is what he said to Joseph Smith. (laughs)
0: Blow out the lights and get into bed and you'll be safer there. And he took my advice. There is no good reason to doubt that Louisa's marriage to Smith included sexuality,
1: and it did include sexuality. There was yeah. there's many places where it it says that they did share the 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 wedding bed, the marriage bed, sure. and of course this this blocks the the people who say, well, the, yeah. he didn't have any kids, so there wasn't any sex. There wasn't isn't any information about their plural marriage, any personal details about their in their journals, but the marriage has been established substantiated by at least 11 other sources confirming that they did have a plural marriage ceremony, that Joseph Smith did marry Louisa Beeman, and that Smith and Louisa did share the same bed. Very little is actually known about their marriage experience, however. It is known that Louisa was a witness in at least one other plural marriage with Joseph Smith when he married wife number 21, Almira Johnson. From page 60 of In Sacred Loneliness, we read this.
0: Louisa helped prepare Almira for the marriage and then witnessed the ceremony, which raises the discomforting theme of women preparing other women to enter polygamy, acting as spokesperson for the polygamous suitor.
1: So this is one of those weird things. Imagine that these discussions that, that must
0: have gone on. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. One plural wife preparing another woman to be her husband's plural wife is a particularly revolting practice, but they did it, and polygamy groups still do it today. It's almost like the man is so self-centered that these women are pimping other women for his benefit, and they say that God is the author of this. Of those 11 people who chronicled this marriage of Joseph Smith to Louisa Beeman are the church historian Andrew Jensen, Apostle Wilford Woodruff, Apostle Franklin Richards, Apostle George A. Smith, also George uh, or Joseph Smith's secretary, William Clayton, was aware of the plural marriage and wrote about it, and Anne Eliza Young also wrote about it. Several other people were aware of this plural marriage to Louisa, so it is a very well-documented plural marriage, even though most of the details have not been made known. One-third of Joseph Smith's plural wives were already married women when he married them, but Louisa Beeman was a single woman. Louisa experienced a life of intense suffering, as most of Joseph Smith's wives did. In fact, a life of suffering is the main theme of most polygamous marriages both then and now. Joseph Smith's death made Louisa Beeman a secret widow of Joseph Smith and soon she became a plural wife of Brigham Young and early in 1846 she gave birth to twin boys.
0: Sometime in the early months of 1846, according to Brigham Young family tradition, Louisa bore a pair of twins to Brigham named Joseph and Hiram. They are mysteriously underdocumented, but evidently died young. One can only imagine their birth and Louise's grief at their death. She quickly became pregnant again as she slowly made her way to winter quarters.
1: So they were migrating west yeah. with the rest of the morning, the rest of the Mormons. Uh, now traditionally her first uh, tragically, her first two children died in infancy, which of course added to Louise's difficult life. But on January 8th of 1847, Louisa gave birth to another son, and she named him Moroni. However, another tragic death occurred in late 1847, and we read about that.
0: However, one important event is recorded which must have had a devastating impact on Louisa. Moroni died on August 10th after seven months of life, a victim of teething and canker, evidently a malignant sore in the baby's mouth that became infected.
1: So Mm -hmm. poor uh, Louisa, 32 years old, she'd lost three babies. and on July 23rd of 1848, she gave birth again to another set of twin boys. Oh. <laughs> and they were named Alva and Alma. They finally, the, the Mormon migrants at that, of that particular company arrived in the Salt Lake Valley during the third week of September of 1848. And Louisa was soon faced with another crisis. She later wrote about it in a letter to Marinda Hyde.
0: I am led to think at times there is not much else but sorrow and affliction in this world for me. The next day after I arrived in the valley, my babes were both taken sick with the bowel complaint. The canker set in and on 11 October, I was called upon to give up the oldest one and his little spirit took its flight to join with his brothers and father in heaven.
1: So after, yeah, so she lost another child. And after the first Uh, twin of these twins died. The other one seemed to be getting better, and he seemed to flourish for a while. But on November 16th, she lost him also, evidently with the same complaint as the first twin had died. Louisa had given birth to five children by Brigham Young, and they all preceded her in death. Louisa herself died at the young age of 35 after suffering with breast cancer. And we quote from In Sacred Loneliness,
0: There is times when I am troubled with that affliction that I was troubled with while at your house. I presume you would like to hear about how we are prospering. There has been many a good death since we arrived here, and it has been mostly among children. Babes that have had whooping cough, very few grown persons have died. We do not begin to have the sickness to contend with. We have had heretofore the winter has been rather severe. As it regards provision, it is getting rather scarce. Some families are out of bread at at the present time. It will be nothing strange if we should see rather hard times before harvest.
1: So we read. Rough life. Rough life. We read yeah. the sadness. Pioneer times were hard and, and, and often very lonely, and sometimes terrible poverty and living in cramped and cold living quarters. But pioneer times as a polygamous wife was all this and even more, because there was no hope ever any hope of enjoying the exclusive companionship and love of a husband who was divided between dozens of other women he called wives. It was a cruel life and continues to be a very cruel way to live, forced upon by these poor women falsely in the name of God. In another letter, Louisa wrote that she began to treat the breast cancer in early May of 1849, but those treatments were completely ineffectual, and Louisa celebrated her last birthday on February 7th of 1850. We read from page 69 of In Sacred Loneliness.
0: One imagines the final bedridden months, the excruciating pain, the transformation of Louisa's body and face as the sickness ravaged her.
1: And so Louisa died on May 15th of 1850. She was only 35 years old. We can only imagine that her torment in death was equal to her torment in life. As she experienced the ravages of pioneer life, the loneliness of having a polygamist husband and rarely seeing him knowing that he also was a husband of so many other women. Then all alone watching her children die one by one with no husband by her side and then suffering incurable, painful breast cancer. For many years, Louisa Beeman was widely recognized, for some reason, as being the first plural wife of Joseph Smith instead of his third. In 1851, the city that is now called Perowan, Utah, was christened Fort Louisa in her honor. According to John D. Lee, we read this.
0: In honor of the first woman who listened to the light and voice of revelation and yield obedience to the seal of the covenant, for this noble act, her name is held in honorable remembrance in the history of the saints.
1: In other words, she yielded to the false doctrine of polygamy, a doctrine that is not in obedience to anything that God has ever commanded. The new and everlasting covenant that God recognizes is the covenant made by Jesus when He died on the cross for our sins. That covenant is in effect for any and for all who will accept the covenant promises by trusting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all sins and trusting that He alone will take us into His heaven by grace through faith and not by any religious works that we've done. And that is the only new and everlasting covenant. It is not polygamy. Polygamy or celestial marriage as they call it has nothing to do with any covenant of God. Well, it's interesting that Louisa died in 1850. She'd been the polygamist wife of Brigham Young and of Joseph Smith, and yet the church did not officially bring the, publicly bring the doctrine of polygamy until two years later yeah. in 1852 when yeah. Orson Pratt preached it.
0: You know, it must have been so. I can understand more now why Emma Smith didn't follow the saints to, to have these wives that Joseph took and then to have them married to Brigham Young, and yeah. I'm sure she was approached too, I would imagine. Uh, well, I I,
1: I've got a quote from Brigham Young that I've got to verify it more closely or I've been using it by now, but he approached, according to this, he approached her.
0: Yeah, and, and So, uh, but you can see why she was upset with this whole practice mm-hmm. and didn't want to follow Brigham Young and those... Previous wives of Joseph to
1: Mm -hmm. uh, to Salt Lake. Absolutely. The the next wife that we want to talk about is Zena Huntington. Now we did a show, two shows in 2010, um, where where Dorothy Catlin uh, was was here on the set and she was dressed up as as Zena and she portrayed. She did did a beautiful (laughs) job of it, and we did it in two parts on April 22nd and May um, 6th of 2010. So you can go to our our website, whatloveisthis.tv, and and it's episode 316 and 318 if you want all the details. We're just going to cover some of the details tonight, not all of them. But if we put together all of Zena's names, her maiden name with all of her married names, we would call her Zena Diantha Huntington Jacobs Smith Young. (laughs) That's quite... Quite a name, and of course, (laughs) includes her plural marriage names. According to Todd Compton, the author of In Sacred Loneliness, this Zina was Joseph Smith's fourth plural wife. Now, this plural marriage is probably among the most revolting, if not the most tragic, of all the plural marriages of Joseph Smith. (laughs) Zena's parents joined the Mormon Church in April of 1835 and they left their, their prosperous farm in New York and they moved to Ohio. Zena was only 15 years old when they moved to Kirtland. She had a, an older sister named Priscilla, which we'll be talking about next time, and, and Priscilla was 26 years old and married. Now in Kirtland, their father bought a good home and 40 acres of land. However, he later invested in Joseph Smith's illegal and bogan Kirtland anti bank, and in the fall of 1837, he lost his land and everything else when the bank went broke. His family was now in poverty. So many lives, in so many ways, had been ruined by Joseph Smith that people believed in him. In 1839, the family arrived in Nauvoo, and shortly after their arrival, Zena's mother died from the malaria epidemic that was claiming so many lives at that time. Then the rest of the family was also very sick, and eventually Joseph Smith offered to take them into his own home, which he did. Now, this is very interesting because Joseph Smith, many of Joseph Smith's plural wives, first lived as young girls in the same house with Emma and Joseph, which arrangement gave him great opportunity to introduce plural marriage to their young, impressionable minds. However, while living at the Smith home, Zena met Henry Jacobs. He was smitten with her and proceeded to court Zena. Henry was a handsome man. He played the violin. He was 23 years old. And sometime during Henry's courtship of Zena, Joseph Smith did manage to explain to her the principle of plural marriage and asked her to become one of his wives. Well, Zena remembers the struggle that she experienced with Joseph's proposal and, and, and that contradictory ethics uh, and, and her developing love relationship with Henry Jacobs. And so she prayed. This is what she said.
0: Oh, dear heaven, grant me wisdom. Help me to know the way. O oh, Lord, my God, let thy will be done and thine arm around about to guide, shield, and direct.
1: So you can see she's in a quandary yeah. with this. Yeah. The prophet has has invited her to become a plural wife, and she's in love with Henry, and to her this is adultery, and she's really in a quandary. Well, Well, Zena declined Joseph Smith's marriage proposal and chose to marry Henry Jacobs instead. They were married on March 7th of 1841, And they had requested that Joseph Smith uh, officiate at their ceremony, and he agreed to do so. But when their wedding day and time arrived, he didn't show up, and he never told them he wasn't coming. And so they had to call upon John C. Bennett to officiate the wedding ceremony. When Zena declined Joseph Smith's marriage proposal, she had no doubt uh, that his pursuit of her would end with her marriage to Henry. (laughs) But that wasn't to be. Joseph Smith was a persistent rascal when it came to his plural marriage proposals, and rejection merely increased his efforts to get the women he had his eyes on to become another one of his plural wives. We read from In Sacred Loneliness.
0: She and Henry saw Smith soon after the marriage and asked why he had not come. He told them the Lord had made it known to him she was to be his celestial wife. Once again, Zena was plunged into a quandary. Smith told them that God had commanded him to marry her. However, he apparently also told them that they could continue to live together as husband and wife.
1: Now that would put your moral standards in a quandary, wouldn't it it? And it says there that he told them, so he's telling both Zena and Henry about this arrangement. She was married to the man she loved, yet was being pursued by the Mormon prophet. This was a very cruel characteristic of Joseph Smith. How would that have made Henry feel, can you imagine?
0: I can. It would be interesting to know the kind of rationale and discussion that would go on between Joseph to say, whether he's saying that, uh, well, your civil marriage really doesn't matter, or this... This is a higher law, or you didn't be interesting to know the real words the, that he tried to use to talk people into this practice. It's, we know
1: what he said to, the, to some of the women, but we don't know how it came, especially <laughs> when there were husbands involved.
2: Yeah.
1: Zena later wrote that within months of her marriage to Henry in the following October, Joseph sent word to her by her brother, and this is what happened.
0: And this is probably the quote that most of us here in in mainstream Mormonism, and probably in in polygamy as well. An angel with a drawn sword had stood over Smith and told him that if he did not establish polygamy, he would lose his position in his life. Zena faced with a responsibility for his position as prophet, and even perhaps his life, Finally acquiesced.
1: See the threat, see the spiritual threat.
0: Yeah, I'll lose his position as a prophet. And
1: it'll be Zena's fault. Zena is, she's put now with the responsibility. If he loses his position as prophet or his life, it'd be all Zena's fault.
0: And an angel with a drawn sword. An angel
1: with a drawn sword. His ultimatum to her is, be my plural life or look what might happen to poor me. You know, besides that, Zena was uh, Joseph Smith's fourth wife, so he had already established polygamy. He didn't need more wives to accomplish that bogus command from the angel. So Zena, the legal wife of Henry Jacobs, seven months pregnant, with Henry's first son on October 27, 1841, became the fourth plural wife of Joseph Smith. Her brother, Dimmick, was stood as a witness. And Zena's first husband, Henry, was fully aware of the plural marriage. And Zena and Henry continued to live in the same home as husband and wife. Poor Henry, he believed that whatever the prophet did was right, and that is wrong. But spiritual brainwashing is a characteristic of the Mormon faith. Henry was sent on several missions over the next several years, and we quote from In Sacred Loneliness.
0: I'm sure they were inspired callings, of course, to send him out on a mission. (laughs) Henry served a two- (laughs) or three-month mission with John D. Lee, who remembers that Jacobs was bragging about Zena and almost worshipped her.
1: Isn't that sad? Can you see? The love he had for her. Yeah, Yeah. he loved her, and and they had had a very loving relationship. Zena's conviction to obey what she thought God required was greater than her concern for moral ethics or for her reputation about living this immoral life of two husbands, she said this,
0: I made a greater sacrifice then to give my life, for I never anticipated again to be looked upon as an honorable woman by those I dearly loved.
1: So she, (laughs) just pain, both pain, emotional pain, from Zena and, and Henry because of Joseph Smith. Now, when Jacobs returned from a mission in May of 1844, he found his wife, was attending private meetings with Joseph Smith, and many of those meetings involved the secret Masonic handshakes and the secret oaths and wearing the secret special clothing. After Smith was killed a month later, he <coughs> you w- we would think that Zena's marriage to Henry would get back to normal, but that wasn't to be. Although they had never stopped living together as husband and wife, it had been a marriage triangle with Joseph Smith as the third person. Their marriage was not made simple, however, because Brigham Young swooped in for the spoils, going after as many of Joseph Smith's plural wife widows as he could get. We read from page 83 of In Sacred Loneliness.
0: Zena must have been cute cute, probably. She, huh? she probably was Very cute. Very pretty, mm-hmm. pretty girl. <laughs> Brigham Young, Heber C. <laughs> Kimball, and the rest of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles approached the widows of Joseph Smith and offered them as themselves as husbands. It is certain that many of Smith's widows did marry members of the Twelve. <laughs> Brigham married between seven and nine of them, Kimball married approximately 11.
1: Wow, isn't that awful? (laughs) This thing just gets worse and worse. Brigham Young pressured Zena to marry him and we quote again from In Sacred Loneliness.
0: President Young told Zena D. if she would marry him, she would be in higher glory.
1: So how her marriage would be in higher glory um, is is kind of curious to know. Uh, She was married to Joseph Smith, and he was the highest, you know, in their eyes as far as they're concerned. But they seem to say what they want uh, to get whatever they can think of to get the people that they're seducing to believe them. So Zena was married to Joseph Smith for eternity, and she married Brigham Young for time only. Although Henry was also aware of this marriage, he never recovered from his deep love for his wife. He struggled with this arrangement, and he later later wrote this to Zena.
0: Yeah, he was sent on a mission, right? I mm-hmm. think he's sent again. Zena, I have not forgotten you, my love. Uh, I have not forgotten you. My love is as ever the same and much more abundantly, and hope that it will continue to grow stronger and stronger to all eternity, worlds without end. And in another letter he Mm -hmm. wrote, the same affection is there, but I feel alone. I do not blame any person. May the Lord our Father bless Brigham Young. All is right according to the law of the celestial kingdom of our God. And I'm not, I kept reading this, and I don't know if there's a comma there. Mm. Celestial kingdom of our God, Joseph?
1: Right, Brigham Young taught that Joseph was their God. Was their
0: God, Mm -hmm. oh boy. So the law of the celestial kingdom of our God, Joseph, bless my dear little sons, for me for i do not love my little for i do love my little lambs oh the feelings i have for them and you they cannot be told.
1: So we see more and more of the anguish in in Henry's heart over this situation. Zena and Henry left together with their children uh, when it came time for them to migrate west. But May of 1846, Brigham Young interrupted him at Mount Pisgah in Iowa and sent him on another mission. This is the one he sent to him in England. And that was the time when Brigham Young told Henry to leave his wife alone and to go get another wife with whom he could live with in eternity. After Henry left, Zena began living openly with Brigham as his plural wife. In her own words, Zena said she was welcomed by Brigham Young into his family. Zena and Henry never got divorced. We quote Brigham Young from page 78 of Nauvoo Polygamy concerning these strange plural marriages. Yeah,
0: maybe this is some of the discussion that went on. If a woman can find a man holding the keys of the priesthood with higher powers and authority than her husband, and he is disposed to take her, he can do so. Otherwise, she has got to remain where she is in either of these ways of separation. You can discover there is no need for a bill of divorcement.
1: So teaching very unethical immoral practices. Yeah. He taught that a woman can just leave her legal husband when she finds someone with a higher authority. By the way, that's only in Mormonism because in Biblical there's no higher authority but Jesus is the only one. Everybody else is equal with each other. And and he, he says don't bother with the legalities by getting a divorce. Polygamists have always snubbed their noses at any and all laws that they thought infringed on their marriage practices. We would appreciate if any one of our viewers would call in tonight with a passage in the Bible where God says this behavior is okay. Where does he teach this kind of disregard for the marriage commitment or for this kind of immorality in marriage? And when you call in, would you please give us a biblical passage where God commands polygamy at all? We're going to open our phone lines right now. We'd love to hear from our viewers on this kind of behavior in the early Mormon church from these so-called prophets. Um, And we are going to um, show you our our message tonight. Our phone number, by the way, that you can call while the message is being shown is 801-973-8820, 973-TV20. So give us a call, and uh, we do share our message with you now.
2: The night of my wedding was the saddest day of my life.
1: Either you live polygamy or you're going to go to hell. And I would wish somebody would come and kidnap me and take me away.
2: I had no idea what polygamy was actually going to be like. Dear God, help me get out.
0: All these men did whatever they wanted to all these women in my life, and
2: sometimes me. I was given as a third wife to a man that I'd hated since I was nine. And I couldn't do what I would think about it. I was born here, in the land of the free, a slave in a polygamous cult, and my story is not unique.
1: Tragically, too many heartbreaking stories are never made public and they remain untold. We are talking about tens of thousands of lives held captive by this cruel system of religious polygamy. And it is a living nightmare for those who want to get out and can't.
2: I, like other polygamous children, did not have a choice in marriage. I had my free agency to do what I was told or suffer the consequences. That's not a choice.
1: Polygamy forces young girls into marriage because the supply of women gets depleted quickly. They are treated and considered as commodities.
2: I married our prophet, Joel LeBaron's younger brother, Verlin, when I was just past my 15th birthday. I became his sixth wife. He was 38. If the public was educated about what really goes on in polygamy, they would realize that these women are literally in bondage.
1: I wanted to run. I wanted to leave.
2: And by the time I really got the courage to leave, I found out I was pregnant and felt like I couldn't. And with each one that was born, I hated myself because I brought another child into slavery.
1: I was now trapped. And uh, the bondage of my motherhood was now going to keep me there.
2: And I would hold my baby and cry and tell her, what kind of a mommy have you got? You will be a slave all your life, just like me, and I brought you into this world. I prayed every day, dear God, help me get out, but help me get out with my children.
1: A Shield and Refuge Ministry draws its mission from Isaiah 61, to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, and to declare the Lord's favor to those who have only heard of His anger and rejection. The challenge before us is to have a safe place for refugees to go. You can't even
2: imagine how different my life would have been if that had existed for me.
1: But we know that God has not called us to undertake this task alone. We need help. And he's putting together a team to make this facility a reality. We are calling this safe house, the Hagar home. In honor of a young helpless girl who fled polygamy thousands of years ago and in recognition of the great God who saw her and cared for her and still sees and cares for polygamous refugees today. Then they too will be able to heal and grow strong and move forward in life with hope and confidence. Together we can bring good news to those who suffer, gently calm those who live in fear, and declare freedom to those modern-day Hagars of contemporary Mormon fundamentalism. Welcome back to our show. This is Polygamy. What love is this? And we've been talking about what love is this with
0: (laughs) Joseph (laughs) Smith's
1: third and fourth plural wives. It's just strange things that they were doing then. And we've got stranger ones even coming as as yeah. we go through his 33 plural wives. Um, our telephone lines are open. We invite you to call in. We'd like to hear from you, your comments or questions or disagreements or agreements, whatever it might be. Give us a call, 801-973-8820. Uh, we do have our lines open, so give us a call. We do want to talk um, a little bit about something that happened right. a couple of weeks ago in Colorado City, which is one of the FLDS polygamy groups uh, community. In fact, it was it was so traumatic to the people involved that it made national news, and so many of our viewers may already be aware of this incident. But it was something that happened um, uh, some background information first, so that so that you'll know what was actually going on. The FLDS have traditionally. Uh, kicked people out of uh, of their community and told them to go away and uh, repent from afar. Well, there was an FLDS woman, she's a mother of four children and her name is Sabrina Tetzner and she left the the FLDS polygamy group about eight years ago but she was unable to take her four children with her. Uh, she left them in care of an aunt who was still in the polygamous community. Now women are sometimes forced to leave their children behind when they escape Because the FLDS teach that all of the children that are born in the polygamy group belong to their priesthood, they don't belong to the parents so she couldn't take her children with her. Later, Sabrina decided that she wanted custody of her children, and so she sought legal help to get them back. She was successful, which is unusual, and she received sole custody of her children, and they are ages 8, 9, and 12 and 13 years old. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Sabrina went into the polygamous community to get her children from their aunt's home, according to the court order but the aunt wouldn't let her take the children. She wouldn't send them out of the home. Now, she drove into the community in her van, And a crowd of several dozen people, some reports say there was over a 100 FLDS people, mostly women, who gathered around her van, surrounding it, with Sabrina still inside, and she wouldn't get out of her vehicle because she was afraid of what the crowd might do to the van if she left it, or even to her if she got out. Well, they harassed her, and they kicked the van repeatedly, and they threw chickens at the vehicle. They even tried to get push animals into her car. Her efforts to get her children led to a seven-hour standoff. Now, deputies were called to come and to help her, and they finally received a search warrant, which allowed them to enter the aunt's aunt's home to receive Sabrina's children. Nobody was hurt, but reports say that (coughs) deputies from other areas were preparing to fly into that town because they were afraid of what might happen. When it was finally over, the officials escorted Sabrina and her children safely across the Utah state line. Now, there were no arrests and haven't been any arrests, but we understand that some of the authorities are considering pressing charges against the aunt, which we believe they should do because she was in contempt of a court order. The polygamists need to know they are not above the laws of the courts of this country. The police force in the FLDS community have historically been polygamists themselves. The policemen and the sheriffs were all polygamous men answering to the polygamy leadership. Yeah. Uh, and, and they answer only to their religious authority, and most of the time refusing to uphold the civil laws that govern the police. They are referred to as the God Squad And one of the God Squad officers actually responded to this standoff, but was there only briefly, and he never provided help or protection for Sabrina. We're grateful that she was able to get her children out and and successfully gain legal custody of her kids. At least now we know that those children will have the opportunity to learn about the outside world, hopefully to learn how to make informed decision, how to be free to study out everything they're told rather than force submission to the indoctrination and brainwashing that takes place in every young impressionable mind of the children of polygamy. Polygamy is not a matter of what adults want to do with each other. Polygamy is not a matter of free choice, not of informed decision. But it is brainwashing and mind controlling, slave driving, forced marriages, child brides, trafficking for sexual purposes, women having 12, 14, 16, 17 more children, and required to support themselves at the same time. Polygamy is not a requirement of God, and you are not obligated to stay. If you want to get out, give us a call. We would love to help you. It's not a command of God. It's a false teaching of men. Um, anyway, I don't know if you saw that on the I news. I did see
0: it, yes. And uh, is that common? That I mean, is this... The, the the rationale that that belong that the children belong to the priesthood is that a common
1: it is in the FLDS yeah. the other groups don't use that to my knowledge yeah. they don't use that but uh, Warren Jeffs is the one Do you
0: think this may have set a precedent then, I hope that so that their ladies can get their children I back? do hope so it's so such
1: a battle though it is yeah. such a horrid battle when a woman leaves the polygamy group uh, she generally leaves everything behind, and it's very, very frightening for her. And of course, the polygamy group has all the money, all the clout, all the power. She has nothing, yeah. and and then she can't get the help she needs. She can't get financial help. She can't get pro bono legal help to help her get back what belongs to her. Yeah. And then when the courts, and this happens, gives the children, especially the little girls, to the polygamy group, to I the know. husband.
0: You know what's going to happen to them?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's the only reason they want little girls. And on
0: a spiritual level, as you've explained before, these people, these women, leave thinking that they're going to hell because they're mm-hmm. disobeying mm-hmm. God's command to live yeah. polygamy.
1: Yep. that's exactly right. That they is do. So they, sad. And the, the threat of their families to uh, the, that they will be shunned for yeah. the rest of, of well, their and life. Then, and
0: then, to, like you say, lose the chance to have their children with them. I mean, what a how, how would you even think about leaving? If That's you were, the trouble. Yeah,
1: That's one of the main you're troubles. trapped into it yeah. as
0: soon as you're committed. As yeah. as you have and, a child. and they'll
1: threaten them if they leave. They can't take their kids with them. Yeah. and And that takes us to an interesting yeah. play that we went to see last weekend, several of us who are involved with this show. Uh, decided we'd go see a play it was called what the pilot program
0: the pilot program yes
1: and it was at the Rose Wagner theater downtown and it was based on the idea that the the Mormon church the mainline Mormon church had decided that they would start <laughs> polygamy again and they were choosing or appointing or calling they have callings, callings yeah. calling people with couples to sacrifice uh, for the for the religion, for the principle, to uh, start the plural marriage again in yeah. the Mormon church. And so this play was about a couple who had been called to live plural marriage. And what the with the man and the wife yeah, they discussion... were there were just and, the
0: three actors in the show. Mm-hmm. And the husband and wife, our first scene was them coming in and so totally quiet, facing away from each other, then facing each other, trying to evaluate what they had just been asked to do. And yeah. they just, uh, and we didn't know, of course, or I guess unless you knew kind of what the gist of the story yeah. was, but we didn't know what was, what they had been asked to do.
1: Yeah, at first.
0: All, yeah, and then all of a sudden it came out that they had been asked but to. That the
1: brethren had asked them to, to yeah. choose another wife and live, and that's a good question that we could ask the the, the LDS people today. Yeah, what if? Would <laughs> you live polygamy? Would you welcome polygamy if, uh, if downtown um, prophet said that we're going to bring it back and it's legal now, we're going to bring it back, you need to live it, God has called you to live it. Would you do it? Would would the woman want to do it? Would the man want to do it? Would What, what would you do? And that's what this play was about. It's very interesting. But I think that's probably what uh, actually, having come from a polygamy group, it, it kind of bothered me. I'm sure it did. Uh, but I think what bothered me more than anything is when the first wife, she hated the idea. She didn't want it to happen. Yeah. But there was this fleeting second that she said she had a feeling that she should do it. And so she did. Yeah. So she fell for it and went for it. One fleeting second of a feeling... <laughs> You know what?
0: And the second wife actually had that same she had the, moment. She mm-hmm. thought about it. The prophet's spoken. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. must be good. Yeah. It must be and right. they can
1: have hours of pain, hours of dilemma, yeah. but one little fleeting moment of feeling and she decided to do it. That's unfortunate in the Mormon religion. It happens all the time. Do something wrong because you have a feeling that it's right. But All they had to do was pick up the Bible <laughs> and find where God says not to to do it. And it doesn't matter what you feel, because what God says is the only thing that matters. And God said monogamy was the way of marriage, not polygamy. So we have, it uh, looks like we have a call coming in, but we don't have anybody yet that is uh, ready for us to take their call. So if you want to call in, please do so now. We're getting towards the end of the show. And if you call too late, then we won't be able to talk to you. So let's, uh, let's have some input on this. What would you do if, if you're an LDS person and you're told you had to live polygamy? Would you, in, would you in, uh, invite it or would you hate it? Uh, we have an email that we would like to read. Um, from a viewer in Meridian, Idaho.
0: Yeah, I've really learned so much over the years by watching your valuable show. I'm an ex-Mormon and I search the internet daily for truth. I am born again due to shows such as yours. I do this study because of my desire for truth and I need daily doses to quench my thirst. I would love to meet you and thank you in person. Thank you, SM.
1: And we get, we get emails like that uh, no. where they're, they watch comment. your show as well yeah. and they thank us both for doing our show and for bringing truth to this culture. Of course, Meridian, Idaho would be where the Boise Nampa area where uh, it our show is shown on KCLP Channel 18 on Sunday afternoons a week after uh, is broadcast here, and it's comforting to know that God is providing yeah. and using the shows yeah. to help people. You get people. a few phone
0: calls from them on, on Sundays,
1: right? Or I do sometimes. Do. <laughs> sometimes I get calls from Idaho on Sundays, and I know they've just watched the show, and they're either mad at me or they're <laughs> <laughs> thankful. But um, this viewer is grateful for biblical truths, and we're grateful that he Uh, loves the Bible and loves God's truths from the Bible. And we want to thank TV20 and KCLP in Idaho um, and the Internet and every opportunity that God has given us to bring out something to talk about that at one time was totally forbidden to speak about in public. And that is Joseph Smith's false gospel of polygamy for eternal life.
0: Yeah, and we know people that have been excommunicated and, and shunned because they came... Discuss these kinds of things, and now the church is actually in their essays. Yeah. If you look at lds.org, if you yeah. can find them, can find talk him. about and admit to these uh, plural marriages.
1: Yep, admit he had them. Yeah. They don't admit all the truth about them, but no, they finally they admit that he had them.
0: One thing I was going to say, too, real quickly is that uh, this was one of the things that was easy for me to watch, Polygamy, What Love Is This?, because I knew it was a Mormon doctrine, even though we weren't practicing it at the time, That, but that... Um, it was something we probably were going to be doing in heaven. So I can yeah. watch you without uh, any fear of, of, of thinking that I wouldn't let my wife know I was watching, <laughs> but I did, I did watch it myself. But uh, when Carla started watching it, she, felt, she found comfort and started mm-hmm. learning things mm-hmm. that she had never heard oh, before. Awesome. Yeah, That's it really been... was... That's good. So it is. It it's brings out things in these quotes. Some of these quotes I've never yeah. had never gotten no, into before me either.
1: either. Yeah. And you know, you say that um, it, it, you were safe watching this because polygamy is a dead issue now. But yeah. you were going to live it in heaven. Yeah. But you know what? Polygamy is not a dead issue because you are. It's a future issue.
0: Yes, you're right. It's a past
1: and a future issue yeah. for Mormons. Well, I knew
0: I'd have to deal with it sometime. Right. Now I'm so glad I don't.
1: Yeah. Amen yeah. to that for yeah. sure. Okay, we do have uh, some phone calls now. We have Rick calling from Enterprise. Hello, Rick. Yes. Yes, you're on the air, Rick.
3: Hi, guys. Uh, this is uh, Rick down here at Enterprise, and I just wanted to call and say speak to you about a few things that you're talking about. Uh, one is I was raised a Roman Catholic in, in California, and I would go to Catholic school. And one thing I remember so distinctly was is some of the teachings of the Catholic Church that were so out there once I grew up and became a Christian and realized that the teachings of the Catholic Church was Catholicism. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because Catholicism, the teaching of Catholicism is not the teaching of Christ. It's the teaching of basically men over many generations. That's how they made it up. But anyways, the reason that I bring that up is there was a woman who was a teacher at a Catholic school, and there was priests there that were teaching things away from the deity of who Jesus Christ really is. And she called a Catholic television show, and there's a woman, a nun, Mother Angelica, and Mother Angelica heard what she had to say, and she looked at, she told that woman, she said, say just what jesus said to those priests liars and that's it now you know i have a jewish friend <laughs> and he made it very clear to me he's a jew for jesus and he's a wonderful man and he made it very clear to me in the end of end days which we are certainly in that evil will become more evil meaning in people and righteous will become more righteous and jesus said let the weeds grow with the tares and it's very very clear that all of mormonism is evil uh and there's no question its origin is evil its days today are evil Munson is evil the apostles are evil all of it is evil it's witchcraft to go to those temples and pray for the dead i mean all of these things and these people when we first came here a few years ago made it so very clear that we can, we moved here because God brought us here so that they could teach us and we could become Mormons okay. so that we could enter into the Rick. celestial kingdom. Rick. And it was unbelievable <laughs> the things that they were telling us to try to divide my wife and Rick. I, of course, were, Christian, we're on the same page. Rick. And I just was going, wow, Rick. is this real? Can
1: we interrupt uh, you, Rick? they
3: now to some other people, this.
1: Rick, can we interrupt? I just, just wanted you to know all that. So Thank you. Thank you, Rick. You were, Thank you. Thank you. Here? Thank you. Okay, thank you, Rick. We really need to hang up at this point. Appreciate your call. Okay. We're getting very close to the closing comments. That that was quite quite a thing. I I, you know, I have to say right here that uh, he called the whole thing evil. But there are so many people in the in the polygamy groups as well as the LDS Church who are nice, wonderful, loving, kind people. We we always want to make sure we are against the doctrine, (laughs) but we are not against the people. Uh, So Please, uh, we want our viewers to understand that. Sure. Anyway, uh, thank you, Earl, again, My for being here tonight. My pleasure. appreciate being able
0: to share this.
1: And we, we have an interesting show scheduled for you next week, so be sure and watch next week. Um, you know, tonight we've heard more historical stories of guilt and pressure on women to live polygamy. Polygamy really is not a matter of free choice, as I've said, or choices between consenting adults or freedom of religion. The choices are made for the women, and they use brainwashing and threats of eternal damnation and guilt trips that force these females into marriages they do not want, but cannot say no, and which are illegal. This is the face of Mormon polygamists, introduced, preached, and practiced by Joseph Smith. They say polygamy qualifies a man to become a god and a woman to become his goddess, ignoring that God said man cannot become a god. But Jesus is God who became a man who lived a holy and sinless life, then allowed envious and hypocritical religious leaders to arrest him, to whip his body to shreds, to mock and to spit at him, and then finally nail him to the cross. He took our punishment for our sins so we wouldn't need to suffer for our own own sins if we would trust in Him alone. How can living polygamy ever come close to doing for our eternal life what Jesus did on the cross? Polygamy cannot accomplish what God has already done for us, and He has done it all. So don't insult God by trying to earn eternal life. He has already done it all for us. In fact, He's done all 100%. Our part is just to trust Him, embrace Him, depend upon Him totally and completely. So choose the truth in Jesus Christ and live your life serving God instead of serving a church and bask in God's love every day. Thanks for watching.